Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of TA Tech Unboxed. Each episode, we're speaking to the best-in-class software providers from the tools that have been built for us, the talent acquisition community. We're chatting to people behind the tools, why they chose to build things for this crazy world. And if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to look inside the box a little bit. We've challenged the guys to get as close to seven minutes in the demo. Um, I'm Chris Haslam and my co-host, Mr. Darren Bush. Hi, Chris. Chris, how are you doing? We've also been crazy recording for this series. Uh, who have we? Who have we got planned to be speaking to? So we've got a great lineup. So Sile from MetaView, talking obviously about NTU intelligence. Chris and Carl from Candidate FYI, talking about the importance of candidate portals in the market. So many Chris. Sarah Lane from Meet and Engage as well, talking again about candidate portal and candidate engagement and attraction. And then we have uh, lastly as well Andrew from Willow. Talking about video interviewing, yeah, so it's, cool. it's that's, a, that's a cool hacky hacky tool that I really I really liked my first couple of interactions with with Andrew a few years ago, so I'm excited. Um, great. Okay, who do we have on the show today? So Chris, today you've got Bradley Franks, uh, head of head of sales at Applied. He's here to discuss how Applied removes bias from the hiring process. Before we get into Applied, Bradley, can you just share with us how someone with a BA in geography from Cambridge? is now selling tech in a talent acquisition space. Yeah, it, it does seem like a bit of a jump. Firstly, um, thanks, Darren, <laughs> for having me. Um, I think like when people think of geography, one of the things that they commonly associate that with is knowing capital cities and coloring in. Um, and I think that the actual primary thing that I was interested in when I studied geography was uh, like social inequality and development and the way in which, you know, different people from society have and different people yeah. don't have. And I think uh, one of the things that really appealed to me about Applied was I, I was familiar with the Behavioural Insights team um, and sort of the governing body that uh, Applied was built from. Some of you might be familiar with the idea mm. of nudging uh, or Daniel Kahneman or No Thinking Fast and Slow or be familiar with sort of mm. behavioural science, economics. Uh, I know Freakonomics was sort of a big thing a couple of years back. And I was particularly interested when it came to thinking about my career path in getting involved in a startup, having an immediate impact, but getting involved in something that actually had a social purpose and that closed the gap between the haves and the have nots. And I think yeah. that's what is at the core of Applied's mission. And that's what really appealed to me. It was less talent tech and more making a difference, having an impact and not sort of being a cog in a bigger, bigger machine. That's a mission-driven hire for the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right you literally did the thing that you've moved yeah. into, yeah. which is very yeah, uncommon. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I said I was, interest, I was interested in. Uh, I was interested in the haves and the have-nots. I also did my dissertation on nightclubs, but that's a different, a different discussion. I think that's a, that is definitely oh. yeah. I'd love to explore that yeah, another time. What like outside of like your journey to to be applied because you of course didn't yeah this you didn't go to uni do your dissertation join be applied <laughs> like what, what were you doing before yeah look, I, I think it's fair to say like i'm still fairly fairly early in my career um like despite having like a management role at applied at startup um so i left applied uh thought what the hell do i want to do with my life actually did a master's in sociology where i where i was there for about two weeks and thought this isn't for me. I don't want to go down the academic path. And um, knew I wanted to get involved in tech, knew I wanted to work for a startup. 
that didn't really know where to start. If um, an organization called Jumpstart, which is set up by oh, yeah. Matthew Sari and Kabir, uh, was around, I probably would have done that, uh, which effectively is like a grad scheme working at different yeah. startups and working as a generalist or as a entry level salesperson or a yeah. marketeer, whatever it is, that wasn't available to me as an option. Um, so yeah. I saw all of my friends going off and going down the traditional path that people from, you know, privileged educational upbringing go down, consulting, yeah. law school, some were still doing their doctor's uh, qualifications. And none of that really appealed to me. Like I, I, I think to a certain extent, I've always had a a slight problem with hierarchy uh, and have wanted to challenge it and perhaps authority that comes with a bigger organization. So I thought, I'm going to go and work for another startup. And it just so happened that I knew somebody who'd set up a food tech startup or I knew someone who knew someone and they were basically looking for a generalist slash runner slash person that's willing to do everything. Uh, and the first job I did was work as a quality assurance engineer. Uh, with no coding experience or testing experience, didn't really know what I was doing. No, I was not tasting ice cream. I was, I had <laughs> 20, what effect, it was called, the company was called Nez. It's no longer around now. It was a sort of hit by COVID. Um, but the, the idea was, was you're a restaurant or a coffee shop or a bar, you've got a blackboard offer. How do you easily mm. communicate that to office workers in the area? And how do you drive football okay. uh, through that? So, so I literally had 20 phones out in front of me and every day I'd come in and I would test the app and make sure that it was working properly. I did that. I did some marketing. Oh, wow. nice. And then I did door-to-door -door sales. And, then sales. and the door-to-door -door sales was brutal. It was really, really hard. Uh, but it was... I assume all B2B B door-to-door, -door, like knocking on restaurants. Oh, yeah, knocking on restaurants. Knocking on restaurants. A, lot of, a lot of the work we did was with independents, but we did work with a few chains. So like Pizza Express okay. for a client of ours. Um, we, did some, we did some work with like some other large name brands, but it was mostly independent local restaurants. And as someone who like sort of loves food, it was a dream job in some yeah. ways, but it was pretty brutal. Um, and I think at the organization, they did a lot of things right. But one of the things they perhaps didn't get right was hiring, especially hiring senior staff. And it just so happened that we'd made a few mishires and that aligned with an opportunity at Applied coming up. And the two and two sort of really felt like they spoke to each other and it felt like the right time to make the move. So then I joined. Yeah. Have the stars ever aligned more? Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> if that the most aligned my stars life. ever become in my life, then, then I, 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 you know, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed, Chris. What's the, the background? What's the product story of Applied? Yeah. So I think um, this is the only time when I would ever encourage anybody to talk about the year that their company was founded. You know, when you go to those um, sort of talks, they say, we were founded yeah, in X by one yeah. person and it's boring. Yeah. I think I think this is the only time that's actually relevant. So uh, Applied comes from a, a governing body or government body called the Behavioral Insights Team, more colloquially known as the okay. Nudge Unit. So the Nudge Unit was set yes. up in 2011 by um, Cameron and Clegg under the coalition government um, yeah. and, and effectively looked to use behavioral science to inform policy decisions. Um, think why you have your pension as an opt-out versus an opt-in. That's an mm. intervention that the Nudge Unit was responsible for. And it increased the proportion of people contributing their, to their pensions by like 30, 40%. Yeah. 
Um, what they realised in the unit is hiring is incredibly unfair. Hiring is prone to 180-odd biases. Hiring results mm. in the wrong people being hired in certain jobs and the right people being overlooked. Um, and Kate Glazebrook, who was one of the principals at BITS, founded Applied uh, off the back of a research project in 2017. So that's the, the background and sort of yeah. evidence-based research that's gone into the organisation. Um, I think at the core of why we exist is, like I'm sure you talk about this time and time again, but there's, there's a war for talent that most organisations are losing. And mm. we believe they're losing it because they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing far too much on the, the volume of candidates they can source, the speed of yeah. their process, things like time to hire. And what they're not yeah. focusing on is the skills of candidates, the values that they have and the potential that they have, uh, and, and being conscious about making decisions that are, that, that are sort of done carefully uh, with all of the data that you can have around the quality of an applicant. Um, so I think sort of we, we, saw, we serve to challenge uh, organizations to introduce fairer hiring process. Uh, and we serve to challenge them because getting hiring wrong is costly. And we also serve candidates of whom we often forget every single person that's hiring has once been a candidate um, mm -hmm. to have a better experience uh, an experience actually that they deserve, which is to be treated equally, to be treated fairly and to be part of a meritocratic recruitment process. So that's sort of the product story and how, how the idea came about. Yeah, that's super interesting because I, I remember reading the nudge unit um, and it, I, I don't know how much of well, the savings they made, and but it was uh, it was unbelievable in terms of just little tweaks, little changes can have such a huge difference. Yeah, small changes, big impact, right? Like that's what nudging is at its core. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of, so what do you offer then at Applied? Because uh, you know, obviously you go into your website, you know, there's a number of different, different kind of services. Well, if you can talk through the kind of the sort of the, the mainstream kind of products you have. Yeah, I would say there's sort of three or four um, softwares or technologies that we sell um, and that we provide uh, organizations. So the first uh, is a standalone job description tool uh, that strips out gendered language, ensures you're writing effective job descriptions that aren't too wordy, don't have acronyms, aren't cumbersome to read for applicants. Mm. We know applicants are going to review JD's on their phone in sub 10 seconds. That's actually when Chris and I first got talking was about that, that bit of tech at RecFest. Um, it should be seen as like Grammarly on steroids for your job descriptions. Um, and mind I say actually costs a fraction of some competitors in the space like Textio. Uh, and generally speaking, we tend to uh, provide that to larger talent teams for uh, funny enough, the pharmaceutical industry. So we work with Pfizer across the whole European office as well as tech companies that have sort of talent acquisition teams of anywhere going upwards of five people. So what three words, ASOS, they use our tech for that. So that's one product. The other products all uh, form a part of our applicant tracking system. So we offer an ATS that has all of the sort of standard functionality that you would expect from any ATS, automating the hiring process, posting to job board, shortlisting, interviewing, scheduling, uh, sending offer letters, making hiring decisions, but in a way that uses um, more predictive, fair elements of a hiring process. For example, the interview module is structured, or at the very least semi-structured. So every candidate that's going through an organization that's using Applied to Hire would be asked the same questions, 
would be scored by multiple people and would be scored against the marketing rubric. And built into the tool is ensuring that sort of hiring managers are hiring as fairly as possible. The same for reviewing CVs anonymously, the same for reviewing work samples. And then I guess the last bit of tech that feeds into that, that most of our management consultancy clients use, like LEK or OCNC or CIL management consultants uh, for their grad schemes, is um, like a psychometric assessment that's designed to assess uh, for consulting skills. So like a numerical skills test um, that strips bias out of the process that typically, traditionally through normal assessments like SHL, results in men performing better than women, not for lack of actually being mathematically able. I also saw a really good quote of yours the other day on this because you've been you've been talking a lot recently about this particular yeah. subject, haven't you? I saw I saw a video. Is it, is it unmatched or something? You were you were um, you were being interviewed by. I really liked the quote that you used um, to the crowd there, and you could see the whole crowd were like, oh, "Finally, <laughs> you know, finally, someone's building something that's actually doing this stuff, you know, rather than just talking about it." Yeah, I was at Wiser's making move. Okay. Um, event. They just launched actually a really interesting piece of research all around like uh, like getting more women into tech sales because mm. tech sales teams are pretty homogenous. I, I think I think like pretty much every single tech uh, sales tech team could do better at represent like representation, including ourselves. To be honest, um, yeah. yeah. But like, I think yeah, I really appreciate you saying that point, Chris, because like the diversity and inclusion space needs to change this is my personal take this isn't applied to take and mm. i need to be clear on that mm. like diversity and inclusion is like this thing that like we put in working groups and you just go talk in the corner and then come back to us whilst we do the actual work that's revenue driving i think that's bullshit basically am i allowed to swear on this mm. am I allowed to- <laughs> you you are yeah <laughs> you are but chris isn't like yeah I, I i think it's not i think it's not right basically like like it's it's diversity inclusion isn't like a project being meritocratic isn't something that should be lip service it should be like embedded into Mm. how you do things and how you run your organization and hiring is a part of that Mm. love that i mean and and so true like like really really like deeply mean it and it's such i think actually quite a lot of times when we've engaged bradley after that first breakfast meeting what year was that it was early it was really early yeah, whenever it was, I can't remember. It was a few years ago. Um, uh, ever ever since then, whenever we've chatted, we've started we're talking about like blind hiring and and how that does it fix? Does it not fix? Well, I think um, I think like it's fair to say most most organisations. Speaking of blind hiring, like most organisations that are told to anonymously recruit are given absolutely no guidance as to how to get it right, and are sort of expected to uh, collect CVs through, say, Workable manually remove names from the cv or turn on their tool which sometimes works sometimes doesn't and then have no way of rigorously actually reviewing them and then only end up falling back on the heuristic biases that mean you're more likely to recruit those that have been in the position for the last five years that look and speak and sound similar to the people that are already in your team and then turn around and say anonymous hiring doesn't work well of course it doesn't work it's really de-biased hiring that you need it's offering a structure and a framework um, and objectivity, which means scoring to as many parts of the hiring process as you can with a guidance given from, you know, the, the, the hiring manager on what they're actually looking for. 
I think more often than not, people figure out what they're looking for once they start recruiting for a role. And that's too late. You need to decide early. And then also, I think removing bias at at the top, right? It's like having a why are we doing this in the first place and not just doing it because we don't have enough you know, of this or that in my team, right? That that also sucks because you end up getting into the um, positive discrimination element, right? It's like you're, you're getting a job because, which is also, I feel super uncomfortable with, even though it is part of the force, the agenda movement, yeah. right? I, I feel, I still feel uncomfortable with it. I don't think we're fixing yeah, the problem. I, I think I think that when we boil that back, back down, the why needs to be dug into and then blind hiring and training and coaching and and you know and and, and metrics and measurements uh, are super important that that uh well like like give it a foundation um yeah i i firmly believe that like affirmative action or positive action is like counter to the cause of trying to improve representation it's my personal take if if, if you're having to take positive action you're going to result in people in your organization feeling as though those who are underrepresented, like women in board positions or disabled people throughout your organization where I think there's only like 13% representation of those who are disabled in in actually the working world, people are going to look at that and say, oh, that's tokenistic, it's lip service. And those people are going to be less likely to actually feel like they belong in the organization. They're going to feel less likely to be respected in the organization. And um, you're going to create a divide between those that are seen as being progressive and those that aren't. And I think that that's only going to be costly to the sort of culture that you want to create. So from my perspective, strip bias out, make better hiring decisions and hire people based on merit. Our original tagline used to be hire the best person for the job, regardless of background. And I think that's because all too often Good one. like you hear people who are anti-woke, uh, you know, the left, this is political correctness gone mad say we just want to hire the right person and if they are the right person and they just so happen to be called bradley and they're a white straight man so be it um couldn't actually be further from the truth because the same sorts of people might also turn around and say i have no bias and we run an exercise with people where we show how everyone has bias by getting them to uncover actually um, their biases in like a live working example that's taken from Daniel Kahneman's book. So I think, yeah, it's, it's really important to sort of reframe the narrative yeah. um, and, and create, in short, before organisations use applied, there has to be emotional, uh, emotional, there has to be um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, like a willingness for people to get things wrong publicly and not be demonised for it in their organisation. Um and I think that's why sort of we have so many B Corps using our tech and so many sort of charities that use our tech. Well, inter- interestingly, to follow, follow up on that, are you using that as criteria in any way to decide whether a cuck is that, you know, it is a two way street, right? I want to buy applied, but uh, you might not want to serve it to me because I haven't, I don't know, given, give, are you, you know, how are yeah. you assessing it? Are you, are you coming and doing that? Or is, or are you, are you, are you, Pose yourselves as part of the solution, and once you're in, we can help. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's smiling at this. Uh... <laughs> who who do we not work with? We don't work with a few types of organisations out of principle, and I would strongly encourage any organisation that's mission led to blacklist hmm. uh, arms companies, like companies that are associated with military production. We don't work with any organisations yeah. that are in the tobacco industry. 
and we don't work with any organizations that are in the gambling industry. Um, okay. Like, we can't say that we want to improve representation and we want to make the world a better place whilst, you know, earnestly actually working with those sorts of companies. Um, I think in terms of the sort of organization we work with, there are a few like triggers or things that we look for. Generally speaking, if you're calling your um, HR teams people or culture in title, that's a good indication that you actually care uh, about these mm. sorts of things. Um, if you have somebody who's dedicated to um, improving representation, like a DNI uh, manager, that's often also a good indication. But again, we don't want those people to sort of sit outside of the boardroom and outside of making proper decisions on, th on things that impact mm. the business. Um, I think if you're over 25 people, like if you're hiring less, you probably don't need an applicant tracking system um unless you're really going through scaling um but yeah i think like a couple that spring to mind that really align with mm. what we're doing would be like ella's kitchen mm. b lab uh habito like those sorts of organizations that are often Great. transforming the sector that they're in like habito you've ever got a mortgage you've been fortunate enough to have enough money to get a mortgage in this current economy you would know <laughs> how much of an absolute True. nightmare it is they're trying to change yeah. that and a willingness to change the industry that you're in usually aligns with a willingness to change the way that you do things and hiring is no exception. So that's sort of a, we got, we got our mortgage, yeah. we got our mortgage yeah. job, by the way, it's a great, my partner, my partner did all the work. I just said, yes, um, but I heard her experience was excellent with it. Um, uh, so yeah, cool. Just, you guys are be cool. You know, what's funny. We, um, we're in the Escape the city, Top 100, I think we ranked 52 this year um, of like places to work. But um, congratulations. Thank you. We're, um, and we're an Escape the City partner. We've actually got a partnership uh, that, we're, that we're launching with them. We're doing a webinar with them in a couple of weeks. Um, we are finalizing our B Corp status. Uh, so whilst we work with B Lab, right. um, it's been something we've wanted to do for years. I don't quote me on this. I think it's going to be a couple of months and we should have that all sealed, signed, delivered. You talked about job advert, uh, analyzer, and then you talk about obviously the CV. We talk about debiasing. Uh, de what about the interview process, where you're going into companies and you see obviously what they're using at the moment, and then they put your interview tool in? What are you seeing the benefits from your from the companies, and any any kind of case studies or research you can share? I think let's start with the problem with interviewing, which is there are mm. two studies, and I've spoken about this at, at the making moves session. There are two studies that have been done that look at the time in which you can accurately predict the outcome of an interview, if it's unstructured. One study says four, Wait, it's not 30 one study says four minutes. <laughs> Another study says 10 seconds. Okay. Wow. With unstructured, yeah. I can send you the studies and that's with unstructured. What, what do yeah. we mean by unstructured? Yeah. Unstructured interviews are when you're like, you're just having a chat. You don't have a predefined yeah. series of questions. There's no scoring. There's no note taking. And there's certainly uh, no individual um, review prior to a discussion to prevent groupthink. So that's the problem that we're up against, which is you're then more likely to hire somebody that aligns with really the person that looks and speaks like the person that's in the role now or that's in your team now mm. or the person that you expect that person to look like that more often than not, mm. you would have affinity with an affinity bias would result in, mm. you know, selecting them over someone that might be more skilled. So 
we have a module um, that plugs into the tool that once you've scheduled an interview, um, and our tech integrates with Zoom, Google Meet, as well as sort of Outlook and Google Calendars. Um, once you schedule an interview, all of the people in that interview can input their notes, score um, against the marking rubric, and do so on a question-by-question -question basis so that you're not making decisions that are completely reliant on this vague sense of whether or not you do or don't like the person or think they may or may not be able to do the job. Um, and we always nudge people towards testing for skills. And testing for skills is often seen as this vague thing, like what does that actually mean? It means not just going through someone's resume and getting them to talk about their past. It means actually placing them as close as you can in the job, in the interview. So hiring an engineer, getting them to do a coding task and scoring them on how they do it. Hiring a salesperson, having them articulate their value to you in the form of an interview or get them to pitch your product back to you. Marketeer, come up with a 30, 60, 90 day strategy, whatever it is, get as close to the job as possible and you'll do much better in assessing people accurately. So I think those results are what we've seen result in hiring two to four times more people of color across the board. Um, those results are what we've seen result in, you know, a 30% increase in the representation of women in tech roles. Um, and that's across sort of all of the organizations that we support on average. And there's fantastic results. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Are you doing the assessments? Are they in platform? We've got a library of questions, like we've got a bank of questions and templates that you might want to use. There's 400 work samples. Um, there's uh, like standard recommended TV review questions, and there is guidance around interviews. But hmm. by the time you get to interviewing, most organizations have a pretty good idea of what they want to look for. Um, I would say a lot of organizations that adopt applied, they're doing this sort of stuff manually already. Like they're okay. with Workable or Greenhouse or Lever up to the point that they interview. And then they sack it off for a spreadsheet uh, and then try and desperately try and piece, piece it all together later on. If you're doing that and you're not using applied, you should be. Um, I think it's sort of the target market that we're going for. What kind of, how many companies do you think in the market? And this is obviously just going on your experience. What percentage are using structured interviews? Yeah, I think not enough, basically. Like not enough companies are structuring their interviews. I think it's a two way street. Like. If you're a recruiter and you're in Chris's position and Chris's team, and you're working for a really early stage startup, and you're trying to basically headhunt people to join an yeah. early stage organization, it's like 20, 30 people. I don't think that the first conversations you have are an interview. I think they're a sales pitch as much as anything. They're a sales mm -hmm. conversation. They're a discovery call. You're understanding what their needs are. You're aligning those needs to what the organization can offer and you're seeing if they're interested in joining. I'm suggesting that at the point you're getting a little bit. You're you're getting a little bit I'm suggesting that at the point at which you actually are you've got five candidates that are interested, I'm suggesting that you then assess them in the form of an interview using a more predictive structured method. Um, and I think there's a blurred line in most hiring processes between those two things. And I think mm. that's unhealthy and I also think it's not fair. Because I think that you're more likely to end up landing a role if you look, speak, sound more like the recruiter that you're talking to, more like the hiring manager that you're talking to, 
and more like more often than not given there's a lack of representation in tech all of the people that are at that organization and that's how you build up a diversity debt that then becomes very difficult to pay off yeah. and yeah. um is a problem that you can only ever imagine how, how how damaging it can be once it's too late or once you're in a position where it's really hard to reverse um so i think yeah that that's sort of my take on structured interviewing mm. You've, you've obviously been in the uh, TA space now for uh, several years. I'd uh, love to hear your, your take on the industry at the moment and your view in the market. Well, I guess, I think in terms of what we're seeing, I'm going to split it into the, the, the candidate side and the employer side. Yeah. So if we, look at, if we look at tech specifically, there was a massive boom in terms of salaries and expectations uh, a couple, I'd say 12 months back. That's dipped. So like salaries were heavily inflated. Uh, take sales, for instance, you had mid-market account executives demanding 100 to 120,000 pounds on the base. I think we spoke wow. about this, Chris. Double OTE working for a Series A tech startup. Uh, I think the tech plosion, if we can call it that, has put downward pressure on salaries, especially in those sort of traditional tech roles. Think engineering, CS, sales, marketing, product managers, you name it. Um, I think despite the pressure that we're seeing on salaries um, and actually like cost of living, inflation, everything going up, packet of crisps costing five quid, uh, there, there's, there was previously an asymmetry of information between candidates and employers. And I think that's closing. So if I think about the space that I work in, tech sales, you've got RepView, Glassdoor, Otter, Escape the City. They all yeah. offer free salary benchmarking so that candidates, even if they're going into a salary negotiation where they might earn slightly less than if they got a job 12 months ago, they're more well informed as to what their value is. Um, it's so surprising as well, Bradley, how, how, how many companies yeah. are not doing the same and going and getting that information exactly. before they decide how much it, uh, they want to pay for these roles and, and exactly. trying to figure out what's fair, right? Um, I, always, I, always like the, I always like the player, but like, look backwards first. It's like who yeah. in my team is yeah. not earning that now? Then I'm 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 not fair. I need to we need to change something internally first before we make a hire. Otherwise, it just keeps breaking, right? Just nothing. No, there's always this pay gap that's getting bigger, totally bigger, 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 bigger. And, um, and then yeah, I think on, on that, like um, the final thing we're seeing from a candidate side is like an increasing focus on values, culture, and commitment mm -hmm. to like building a people first, people centric organization. Like as much as there are lots of amazing candidates on the market now that, you know, due to layoffs, I think like fair treatment is something that's expected, especially in the tech world. On the employer side, to that end, I think the lip service following Black Lives Matters that we saw when I was at Applied three or so years ago, that's over. And I see it as a good thing that that's over, like putting a writing a post that's just we're in support of blm on your linkedin uh isn't isn't sufficient in like showing that you're going to create a pardon or blacking out instagram, instagram on a tuesday, on tuesday. exactly it's it's not it's it's, yeah. it's sort of insulting if you continue to have a board that's all male and you know allow yeah yeah or the rainbow banner or the rainbow banner um, yeah, yeah, it's all yeah, it's all nice things. Right? They're all nice things to do, but they're not just like systematic change. Um, on the employer side, I think yeah, what we're seeing is increasing that like, people do want to do the right thing. 
but the manual time spent around doing the right thing creates conflict within organizations perhaps more than previously. Um, so I was on a LinkedIn um, debate, I say debate, like a discussion around anonymous recruitment the other day. Someone was like, it just takes way too long. And uh, if you do it manually, I'm not surprised it does. Um, and then finally, I guess, given the work that we do with the charity sector, like we work with UNICEF, we work with um, Comic Relief, Trussell Trust, like big charities, they, I think, are struggling to attract and retain, not those charities specifically, I think the sector as a whole, are struggling to attract and maintain uh, and, 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 and retain rather like the highest quality candidates that previously could have taken a hit on their salary because lots of those young graduates, for example, um, they're going to mission-led startups or they're going to sort of social enterprise type organizations like Beam or, um, mm. you know, uh, they're doing Teach First, for instance, that might mm. pay them more and lead to a more lucrative career path. Um, because of the pressure that's being put on, put on salaries. I think tech is basically, even though it's been squashed a little bit in terms of salaries, it's yeah. just going to, allow, going to earn a lot more working in that space than, than, than the charity sector. So charities have to do more than ever to stand out. Yeah. Do you think that's been affected? I can't remember you used a recall term tech for explosion. tech explosion. Like, what about layoff Mageddon? What about layoff Mageddon? Like, what, how, what have you seen? <laughs> what have you seen at the other end of the cycle? Are you seeing a change yet? Too early? Yeah, I think, I think, What's I think, like companies, on... companies are really scared of getting things wrong. Uh, and if you overhired, like, on the back of COVID ending, and then had to lay loads of people off, you're scared of making the same mistake again and then being penalised for it. And I think one of the pressures that's driving that fear is the way in which venture capital firms, to my understanding, are putting organizations under pressure to be profitable over being um, like large and dominating the market, right? So like most companies are being told, you want your next fundraising round, we need to see how this is actually a feasible business that has a P&L that makes mm. sense and that isn't just earning money. Well, Focusing also... on costs is, is one of the key things they're looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it comes back to your point about in terms of candidates. They everyone, you know, everyone's impacted by the cost of living. Yeah. That's having a knock-on effect as well. Yeah, yeah so... I agree. I was chatting to Catherine Alani, who's the uh, talent director over at Omar Ventures, and um, we were talking just a, a, literally about this subject. Like now, VCs are... Like how how are you planning to build your team is on the table. It's not just a team slide anymore with a couple of fancy logos on it. It's like yeah, that's cool. We we got that from LinkedIn. Um, how are you going to plan building your team? Is also slowing deployment of capital at the moment. It's like they're not they're like oh we're not I'm not sure you've got what it takes to scale a business. We're gonna you know we're gonna pass on this opportunity. I and mean, she's doing some really 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 interesting stuff by the way on on looking at how founders, uh, the, the values and competencies that What's make them great founders. I don't been, think I've heard of that. has been like pivotal. Catherine Alani. Um, she, she really, really, really interesting lunch with her the other day. 
Um, she's got fascinating profile, really, really fascinating profile background. It's, she's, I'll, I'll do a bad job. I'm not even going to try. Um, she's got super, super fascinating profile from talent, intellect, chief of staff, VP scaling, like hands in lots of pots, seen how to build really effective teams, gone to, to this venture capitalist firm or accelerator. They've got accelerator as well. And um, uh, she's really now looking at not just how are, how are their investments you know, deploying the capital and building teams, but also like, how do we find founders? How do we, how, how do we use what we know in building teams into finding the core competencies that make you a great founder? And there are several profiles that make you great. Not, there's not just one, there's several, I think, different types of founder that they've defined. Again, maybe we need to get around there. Yeah. There's some like absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Fortunately, it's not Series tech, two, so maybe. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to find a way. Yeah. Build something. Put it down on what are the TA tools? Uh, you noticed in the sort of TA tech space that you're most excited so about? I think there's one bit of tech that I really like, and it's because it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. It just tries, like, I think that all innovative technology should enable you to do something that you might already be doing or aspiring to do in terms of process better mm. and quicker. Mm. So I think MetaView, and I mentioned this to you earlier, MetaView and yeah. Idol and the team, uh, they're building really interesting tech for transcribing interviews better. Um, and just saving recruiters an immense amount of time in manually typing up parts of their interview process. Yeah, yeah. I'd also see it making hiring fairer because if you have a transcript of, you know, this is what we've spoken about, um, yeah. and you've got more visibility, you've got more objectivity, and it actually should nudge people towards structuring their interviews as well. Yeah. And, and accountability. Yeah. As well, I think that's another big part of it that that we liked. I think there's a couple of things because uh, Sal's going to be on the show with us. Um, yeah. uh, we want to unpack yeah. on privacy and stuff like that. Uh, that are super interesting. You you raised with us. Yeah. Yeah. We, we put down the question. Like um, as for AI, as for AI and like the rest, I've not you, used it. Yet. I want to see it. I've seen it, but I've not used it personally. We we're using it two like two x time back. Like it's a it's a it's an unreal. Uh, piece of tech like we're, we're honestly it's like probably the only thing that we've used in what are we now like eight nine years of trading as a as a business with recruiters you know deployed and and, and doing lots of work on different accounts it's the only tool that's really given us back that amount of time um uh really well bar microsoft's linkedin recruiter account. i mean unlimited uh, unlimited emails yeah. emails yeah, they have like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. limited emails like that. That. Well, there you go. Yeah, I think. Um, I think in terms yeah, of like that... other tools in the TA space, like AI yeah. is going to be thrown around a lot. My message to anybody listening mm. to this, and I hope there's enough people listening to this to get it across, is like, we, we, you and Darren are listening it's to me. me. And Darren. Um, I think we need to like approach the use of AI incredibly cautiously. Um, and that's not just because I work for an organization that's focused on mitigating systemic biases. Um, and it's not because I'm scared of like universal uh, AI that can act like a human and steal our jobs. And like we're in this sort of dystopian future. I think it's because AI actually isn't new. AI has just exploded since ChatGPT and OpenAI went live. Like in 2018, Amazon introduced an AI bot that um, like automatically screened resumes. And it screened resumes in a way that systemically disadvantaged female candidates. Why? Because it was built off the back of a data set that 
humans, systemically disadvantaged female candidates. We teach it. We to the source yeah. that you feed your AI bot yeah, is only it's ever as or bot or large language model is only as good. Uh, the AI is only as good as the source that you fed it. And that mm. that AI recruiting tool that Amazon used, it got scrapped. It got scrapped in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Google tried as well, right, with their ATS, um, which we t we tried to use for a little bit. Mm. I thought it was going to be a game changer. I thought they've got the data set. This it's over. The game's over now. They're going to be able to do anything. But they didn't. They didn't seem to figure yeah. out where it fit in their they stack. They, they couldn't quite work out where they wanted to be. I was chatting to Steve yeah. Levy the other day. I don't know if you guys know him, like famous sourcing guy, like love his stuff, love him. He's such a ball of energy, he's such a good, um, good person to speak with. And he was saying like the first question he, he like, he like directs at people the second they use AI is like, where are you get, where, where's the information from? What are you building the AI? What's it learning from? Um, if you can't, if they can't evidence that, then he starts to break down like this isn't going to work. I think he's got a software yeah. engineering background. Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I think, I'd, I'd, I'd make a make a plug, which um, is there's a really good course uh, that's called AI. Uh, let me just find who does it. AI for everyone. Um, it's free on Coursera. Um, the instructor Andrew is like one of the leading experts on AI. It takes ten hours mm -hmm. to complete. I think just from the sake of like being able to understand conversations that are going to be happening in your workplaces. Mm. And if you're a recruiter and people are pushing tools on you and saying, I think you should do this, I think you should do that. It will give mm. a really good basis of knowledge that should be valuable. So I'd, 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 I'd Great, yeah. that we'll, we'll, we'll add it to the links uh, to the notes. I think, I think we were, um, we're going to have Sai obviously talk about this and he'd share with it, but he, he, do, he does reference a framework, which is there are two sides about AI, but obviously people are fearful of it. And then on the second side, there's obviously people who um, who are trying to embrace it. But when that, at that point, the case you made obviously about Amazon, there's probably three things he looks at, which is AI is there. If it's for automation in terms of improving, then you know we should definitely consider it. And if it's for the detection, then yes, then you know then it's then we should actually you know explore that. But when we talk about decision making, where actually AI is taking that that job like it did with Amazon scraping CVs and obviously filtering out the candidates. That's where there's additional scrutiny, and then when you look at see like MetaView and where they're in the space, you know they're they're very much taking what is day to day happening across the you know, most companies interview candidates, and it's taking those interview notes, formatting it exactly how you want it to, and ability to share it. And there's no decision making there; it's just it's just speeding up productivity there. Completely, like I would love to think that through applied at some point we would have some AI in our tech. Don't quote me on it mm. happening in the next month, but like. <laughs> making it easy to automate uh, building a gender neutral job description from scratch for a role you're hiring yeah. in. Great. Use yeah. it to come up with effective interview questions that you can then edit and tweak. Great. Mm -hmm. Using mm -hmm. AI to actually do the interview itself and make the decision. Yeah. I'm hesitant. And I think that sure. if, you, if you focus too intently on speed over everything, you'll end up having to go back on the mistakes that you've made. And I think mm. that's really like my my message to people when they look at all of these shiny AI tools that are going to yeah. make everything quicker doesn't mean they're going to make everything better. You might just have double the amount of mess to clean up. Really insightful. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Love being here. <laughs> I've loved it. I've loved it. Invite me to the next good fun. And yeah. we kept yeah. it to an hour just including <laughs> a break.
So we've done all right. Great. Look, it's been a pleasure. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much. Thanks, Darren. All the best. This is TA Unboxed signing off.